Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Corey Mason is the CEO of Dallas Safari Club and Dallas Safari Club Foundation. I was fortunate enough to spend a number of days with Corey in Southern Africa as we toured between the various professional hunting associations and really got to know Corey on a very personal level. I wanted to sit down with Corey and talk about Dallas Safari Club Convention, which is coming up in early January, the ins and outs of the convention, the controversial move from Dallas to Atlanta that's going to happen in 2025, and then really just dig into the whole exhibitor, outfitter, we can't get into Dallas, and why with the space available, they are not accepting more exhibitors and outfitters. And you'll be very surprised at the answer that Corey gives. And it was exactly the reason why in an earlier conversation with Corey that I wanted to have this podcast specifically with him. So enjoy. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it, Brittany? My name. My name. Is, Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Yeah, perfect. So from here to Nairobi. Yes, uh, here to Nairobi, I have quite a few hours in the airport there. I don't know what I'm going to do. Kill a little time, I guess. And then uh, I get to Nairobi at like 6.30 in the morning tomorrow. Is it overnight flight? Uh, well, it's just because of my delay. So, like, I leave here at 1, get to Joe Burgett. You know, it's like a two-hour flight, whatever. But then I have all that time. That's the problem. I have, like, eight hours. And I leave at, like, 1, no, oh, dear, 2 o'clock in the morning. No. Yeah, so it's just my huge overlay or layover in Joburg. That's what makes it the overnight thing. Oh, my God. And the flights from Joburg to Kenya, Nairobi specifically, are just so limited. That's, like, what I had. So does the so the CITES meeting, does it start on Sunday? It starts on Monday, but on Sunday you get your credentials. Uh, is that too low? No, that's fine. Um, you Lift it up just a little bit. You get credentials. Perfect. And uh, yeah, perfect. sort out, and then we have like a couple of planning meetings. Uh, so so what is the site? Is it a COP? No, it's not a COP. It's not. It's a, what they call an expert workshop, uh, and specifically it's non-detriment finding workshop. What is a non-detriment finding? Everyone talks about an NDF. What's an NDF? Yeah, it's a so non-detriment finding, but what is a non-detriment finding? So basically what that non-detriment finding, it's a, uh, so I'll, I'll spell you kind of in broad terms, mm. um, is that non-detriment finding is used to determine 
to meet CITES standards, equivalent to like on the U.S. side, then there's the Endangered Species Act, and there's enhancement findings. So it's akin to that from a CITES standpoint. But on the standpoint. CITES standpoint. Exactly. Does the U.S. require you to have an NDF? On certain species, yes. Like which species? Uh, well, there's a number of species. Uh, obviously, elephant is there, uh, Appendix 1, Appendix 2 species. Okay. And, and it depends, in, and as you well know, past certain species, then it's dependent upon certain countries as well. Right. So it gets pretty messy pretty quick. So this week you'll talk about all the species, NDFs for all the species? Uh, so no, good question. So actually what this is to determine is that basically the new concept of the guidance document for NDF, so sort of rolling it all the way up to the high level, building what the new NDF sort of structure and guidelines look like, and then following that, there'll be each species will be stepped out from that. Mm -hmm. So following this week, <coughs> um, and specifically at the last animals committee meeting, Conservation Force and Dallas Safari Club Foundation agreed to fund the development of the leopard non-detriment finding. And so what that for means... For Africa or country-specific? Uh, Basically for Africa, mm. but each one would be country specific generally. So there'd speaking. be probably chapters within that country. Would that is that how it would work? I, I, I envision that. It's a good question. I envision that it will be something like that because it can't just be one blanket. For sure. Yet I think they'll build sort of the the straw man, if you will, and then each country will sort of. It's a, yeah. You would think that it would build like a general, overall, yep, population status, population trends, all the science overall, and then probably have a chapter per country. Mm -hmm. That is country specific. This is what's happening. Here's the data. Here's the status. Here's the trends. Here's, and That's really, it. at the end of the day, what we're trying to achieve is, as the title indicates, a non-detriment finding is an assessment to show if you hunt species X, it is non-detrimental to the population of species X in that country. That's exactly right. Okay. Yeah. And those non-detriment findings uh, can be... Again, that can be from aquatic species to um, clearly the species in which we're most common with. Um, but then, you know, one of the broad, in the broadest sense, when we talk about going to CITES meetings, you know, that's, and that's essentially every species in the world in the broadest sense. So, you know, there may be a discussion going on in one working group and a meeting about rosewood or teak wood or something. And yeah, yeah, yeah. the very next discussion is over sharks and rays and mm -hmm. then... Uh, Cycads, some, exactly. everything. Some species of fish in off the coast of Madagascar, and then mm -hmm. the next the next discussion is about leopard or rhino horn. Mm -hmm. So I mean, it is the whole width and breadth of species. So what? So I've seen uh, through Twitter right now. There's COP28 happening. What's that? Isn't that CITES too? Uh, so there's a couple of things that are happening. So there's, I, there's IUCN COP that's happening. Oh, that's what it is. Mm -hmm. In the United Arab Emirates, right? I believe that's correct. Okay. Yeah. So those, um, and, and from a U.S. And a COP is conference of parties. That's exactly right. This is exactly what I was about to say. So from, you know, working in a game and fish agency, U.S. based for many, many years, COP was a little bit of a foreign word to me. I didn't yeah. quite know what that meant. Uh and from a CITES standpoint, the conference of the parties means all that have truly uh, are a member of the, the conference. And from a CITES standpoint, that's 184 countries around okay. the world. And then there's observers, uh, which an organization like DSC, DSC Foundation, Conservation Force, Wild Sheep Foundation, etc. Humane you, Society, Humane PETA. Society, Center for Biological Diversity, mm -hmm. IFAW, etc. Mm -hmm. 
and you have to be credentialed if you are a, uh, a national observer party, meaning like from the United States, um, your management authority, again, meaning the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, basically has to give approval for you to re- achieve that status. Wow. So before I go to, uh, just to use obviously us as an example, sure. before I go to the, a cop or there was a little confusion this last animals committee meeting where they said it was required and then ultimately it wasn't. But the Fish and Wildlife Service has to write a basically a validation letter. Saying, for every single American uh, that shows up at CITES meeting? Uh, from an organizational standpoint, yes. Wow. And then there are, the exception to that, are those organizations that are considered international. Uh, and our partners at Conservation Force fall under that banner. And so they basically get that accreditation from CITES proper. Mm. And so uh, it's one isn't better than the other. It's just sort of the way that they're enumerated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Corey Mason, welcome to the Blood Origins podcast. Thank you, sir. Uh, introduce yourself, who you are, what you do. Yeah, Corey Mason, CEO of DSC and DSC Foundation. Uh, we've been touring South Africa, Zimbabwe. You're breaking up. Well, everyone's breaking up the freaking Four Musketeers. I'm going to be alone <laughs> with John McLaurin in <laughs> Namibia. Thanks. No, he's a good guy. Um, so one of the things I wanted to touch on... Um, is we had a big discussion about your convention. Mm, yeah. And I wanted, I, when we had this discussion, I was like, Corey, nobody knows what we're talking about. Nobody's ever heard what we're talking about. So for those that have no idea, give them an idea. What is convention, Dallas Safari Club, whatever. Absolutely. So uh, the organization itself is basically a little over 40 years old, uh, founded and, and uh, functionally administratively based in Dallas, Texas. Uh, but really our conservation footprint and reach is global now mm-hmm. with a membership that started, again, locally, uh, locally based in the Texas area. Now is 80% uh, domestic, meaning across the United States, mm-hmm. and the remainder 20% is all over the world. Um, and now functionally Texas represents uh, you know, less than 40% of our membership and all the rest of it is across North America. Yep. So we've experienced significant I'm growth. I'm a life member. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, in the last uh, couple of years, our membership has tripled. So amazing! Uh, very excited about that growth. We've had a lot of tremendous support, um, and an important part from a fundraising standpoint to then fuel the mission of the organization comes from our annual convention uh, that happens in January of every year. Um, January convention happens in Dallas, Texas. Uh, January eleven through fourteen <coughs> this year. Eleven through fourteen. It used to be a lot earlier. It did. It was uh, traditionally it was the first week of January, and that created a lot of schedule conflicts from our international partners uh, specifically, and all these things that maybe that you don't typically think about, and recognizing just for example we're we're sitting oh, you'd here have to leave at you know New Year's Day exactly, and we're we're sitting here in Zimbabwe having this conversation, mm-hmm. so we'll use that as an example that you know many of our <coughs> exhibitor partners here that they have their children in boarding school, and so they would have to leave their country before their children went back to school mm. uh, and then come to Dallas. Well, that, that created a lot of hardship. Uh, and then holiday travel, people would be leaving right after Christmas, before the New Year. Uh, many governments around the world weren't really functionally back, uh, you know, operating fully. And so um, we made, although not a huge move, uh, we made the purposeful move to begin, because there's a cycle there mm-hmm. uh, across all of the shows, to move us to the second week of January. And that really freed a lot of barriers there what about uh, talk about the logistics of that like that you know from the lay guy's perspective it's probably just like well why don't you just move it man just move it to the second week yeah we that's a good question so we we have a rolling 10 year ahead 
commitment to our convention location. Do you have to put money down uh, for, for that commitment, or is it just like yeah, sign for, here? Yeah, fortunately for those, it's basically a letter of agreement. So okay. it's a you know it's an That's agreement in writing. Yeah. Uh, yep. yeah, it's a soft contract. Exactly. Okay. Uh, probably if we tried to break it, it would be a contract. But yeah, if the yeah. convention center doesn't, it's an agreement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, so it requires a tremendous amount of forethought and planning because. Large events like ours that are, you know, just shy of a million square foot of space that we use, 800,000 square foot of exhibit space, plus then all 800,000 square yes. foot. Yeah. Okay. And then plus all the ballrooms we use for evening activities, yep. banquets, galas, all that. Meetings. Exactly. So that, from a functional standpoint, it's a, it's a million square foot that we occupy and utilize. Um, and uh, so that space is, uh, and again, these large events are planned multiple years out. And then, then you get a sort of curveball thrown at you at some point. And I know it's happened not in my few years with Dallas, but in the past where all of a sudden there's a, a Super Bowl or a college football playoff mm-hmm. or something that occurs that same time of year. And uh, then you have a, uh, something thrown at you like you, use, you lose some of your contract hotels, things like that. And mm. For example, of sort of logistics, this year in Dallas, we have 18 contract hotels in downtown Jeez. Dallas. Yeah. To accommodate our – last year we had 40,000 individual people, obviously using a round number, but 40,000 individual people at the event. Wow. So. Um, in that 10-year, uh, like, look ahead, this is we're in two weeks, did they anticipate tearing down the convention <laughs> center? They did not. Yeah. So what, what sort of – through that because you guys this will be the last year you're in Dallas and then you're going to change to the Atlanta Safari Club (laughs) I could throw something at you right now (laughs) we have uh, oh that's so funny I've heard that so much Uh, you're welcome (laughs) we had uh, we had knowledge certainly that uh, the convention center was going to be renovated Uh, it was great so uh, one of our team members uh, that's really kind of lead of convention operations was on that task force that worked providing guidance and all of those kind of things with a number of the other uh, large annual conventions that utilize that that facility. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we knew that renovation was coming, uh, but the initial plans and the plans all the way up to just prior to our last year's event were that the space was going to be built, or the new space, I should say, rather, was going to be built from across the road uh, towards the existing space. And so there wasn't going to be demolition and reconstruction really all at one time. Gotcha. It was going to be phased, so it would be kind of limited pain, where there was going to be one year of a bit of turbulence mm-hmm. where we might have to occupy two different buildings, okay, okay. you know, kind of simultaneously. And then and then following that, it would be a little bit seamless. Well, following this last convention in 23, uh, we received word. Um, the way they did it was pretty sorry. Uh, but we received word, uh, I will say late winter, that, They've changed their plans. They found ways to save some funds, mm-hmm. which I can appreciate that, certainly. And uh, they were just going to deconstruct and then rebuild there. So that that put us in a in a different mode of, you know, reorganize and make a plan quickly. And there wasn't a place in Fort Worth, like literally just, you know, next city over? Yeah, so we looked all over Texas. Uh, we started locally, sort of making concentric circles out. Uh, we started looking at every exhibition space there in the DFW area, including things like AT&T Stadium, where the Dallas Cowboys play. I heard you say that and the other day, and yeah. I, in my brain, I was like, man, that would have been darn cool. Yeah. Like the entire football field full of vendors, like all the concentric circles, but still it wouldn't be big enough. That's right. And that's what's so hard, because that, that building you look at, and it is the size of a shopping mall, you know? Yeah. But when you actually look at usable space, it's very limited. Uh, basically, to your point, Robbie, it would be the, the football field, and mm-hmm. that's just not much space. No, it's not. 
and uh, recognizing that that's like the soles of one of our halls now, and we have you know six halls or whatever the mm-hmm. number is that we utilize. And so, um, and then we looked at uh, like the Cowboys training facility. That's a cool space too, and it's actually a little bit more usable square footage, but it's still not big enough. Uh, and then you have to start tertiary looking at things like associated, closely associated hotel space. Yeah. You know, again, we use 18 hotels now. Um, so then we started moving broad, more broadly to Fort Worth. Well, the, the Fort Worth Convention Center is, again, using rounded numbers, is about a third the size of our space that we mm-hmm. use now. Well, fast forward to next year, well, they're undergoing construction. Uh-huh. So that eliminated that very fast. And, again, we we are not of the mindset that we would be willing to downsize in space so dramatically that we would have to then go through our roster until a large number of our long-standing exhibitor partners you're not welcome here for a few years. That's mm-hmm. just not how we do business. Mm-hmm. You know, we consider every person under that roof a partner in the strictest sense of the word. You know, they choose to come exhibit with us. They spend a lot of resources and time to come from wherever they are. Maybe it's 100 miles down the road. Maybe it's 20,000 miles around the globe. All right. And we take that very seriously. Um, and, you know, many people that we are their lifeblood to the marketplace. And so we take it very seriously. So, that's not something we were willing to consider. So then we started sort of just, you know, expanding out and out. And Austin's space, although not huge, uh, not large enough, and uh, under construction, San Antonio. So then we start running into date conflicts and all of these things mm-hmm. again because, like, I rewind just a little bit. Like I mentioned, most larger conventions are booked at least eight, a if ten not year ten years cycle. out. Yeah. So now we're talking a year and a half out. Mm-hmm. And date availability is a significant problem. And so then we're looking at – you know, months away or months out, and that doesn't work for the exhibitor partners that come to the states and are used to going from DSC to maybe Wild Sheep to um, SCI, exactly, exactly. Grand Slam <coughs> Club Ovis, yep. uh, Houston Safari Club, etc. Uh, so that didn't work. So then we expanded our search out across the United States and really eliminated kind of the far west coast from right. logistic standpoint right. and. Uh, and then we sat at some of these kind of overarching uh, tenants that we worked from. Number one, we had to find a state that was Second Amendment friendly, uh, you know, a gun-friendly state. And then sort of a subtenant under that, obviously, very importantly, is it a state that was very welcoming to hunters. Uh, from a state standpoint um, and from a, you know, wildlife commission standpoint, and, and, and even really looking from industry-based people that were there as well to really show us visibly that, you know, that state was friendly to, mm-hmm. to hunting and shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we started looking at facilities. And, you know, for example, then there's all these other kind of things like a, a beautiful facility, truly beautiful facility that we looked at is in Detroit, Michigan. Mm. Uh, but ultimately, when we sort of laid every option on the table, we decided to softly remove it from the beginning because it's january in michigan oh, be miserable and so it would have been it would have been very challenging environment for that but then you have challenges with flight unknowns because it can, obviously the weather can be very hostile um so so then we continued our search and and uh really narrowed it down to orlando and atlanta georgia mm-hmm. um, and then when we started doing really unpacking many of the other things around that uh, both of those spaces are giant they're over a million square foot and one of them much larger than that um, but then when we started looking at the, the, the Georgia area, that concentration of states right there yeah. has over 3 million individual hunting license purchasers mm. annually. And so that's where we started looking yeah. more specifically. And it's and certainly a new audience to you guys, right? And there's, you know, everyone's, I'm sure <laughs> your email has been flooded with bitching and moaning, <laughs> right? And, but it's part of parcel of change. Like people don't like change. 
you know, but then after the change, they're like, oh, this was so amazing. Exactly. And I think the same thing happened with SCI. They're moving and putting in Nashville. It was like, oh, Nashville turned out brilliantly. Yep. It's just a different audience. I think they're going to be the same. Texans, Georgians, they're going to feel the same. They're going to act the same. Yep. But you're right. You're, you're going to draw from just a, such a big a concentric circle around it. We're going to... We're going to have the opportunity to put our great exhibitor partners in front of a brand new client base. Mm -hmm. And we're going to add significant membership numbers to DSC as an organization. So we're going to add a lot new following. We do have the benefit of having a couple of great chapters in that area of DSC. So that will help tremendously from a volunteer standpoint. That's already been engaged. In fact, we've had other organizations that have chapters in that sort of, you know, uh, litany of states there that have reached out to us are so excited that we're bringing a large sporting convention like that because that part of the country doesn't have something like mm -hmm. that. And uh, they said, hey, we want to be part of that. We'd like to volunteer and, sure. you know, have our chapters part of it. And we well, said, that's the big Great. thing, right? One of the big things you have is the volunteer base you have. Absolutely. So you're going to have to start from scratch maybe. But yeah. We always say, you know, when we talk about our volunteers, it's, it's really kind of our secret sauce. It makes our convention so great mm -hmm. that, you know, we have a lot of uh, very, very loyal, typically over 500 volunteers uh, that spend some amount of time at DSC, and that's all the way from, you know, greeting from, you know, welcoming people from the exhibitor parking lot mm -hmm. to, you know, providing them a, a taco or a hamburger in the parking lot and literally right. welcoming them and then bringing them all the way into the hall and getting them set up and thanking them every day, serving them breakfast, bringing them coffee, mm -hmm. all of those kinds of things to truly show that we see you as a partner and we mm -hmm. value you. And um, and so we'll have a lot of our, our volunteers that are willing and that's already awesome. committed to going. Um, many people take a full week off work because they literally plan the year yeah, yeah, for that, sure. You know, yeah, yeah. Incredibly important in the organization. But then, to your point, Robbie, we'll be building and adding a lot of new volunteers, and mm -hmm. we'll be doing a lot of very specific targeting to that mm -hmm. over the next year. So I know Corey Mason's answer to this next question probably already, but I'm going to answer it. I'm going <laughs> to ask it anyway. Let's say you're in Atlanta. Four years, five years goes amazing. Uh, is it the Kate Bailey Hutchinson? Uh, K. K. Bailey Hutchinson Conference Center gets rebuilt. Are you now going to f go Atlanta, Dallas, Atlanta, Dallas, Atlanta, Dallas, or is it now back to Dallas? That's a really good question, and it's one that uh, that I, that I will tell you uh, full transparency that is um, that's that's an unknown. I can't answer that totally yet because I think we will wait to very carefully measure. Sure, uh, obviously. Your one will be spectacular, and I think your two will be better, and your three will be yep. better, right? As yep. the word of mouth just sort of spreads like fire about, hey, come check out this great thing called the mm -hmm. DSC Convention. Um, and so we're going to learn a lot. There's no doubt about that. Uh, we certainly have plans to maintain a presence in Dallas, the DFW, Texas area, if you will, uh, just because we have so many very loyal convention attendees and customers there. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so we certainly will not abandon that ever. Um, and in fact, and not to, not to jump off this, but we are planning that You're summer really diverting event. away from my uh, question. That's, a, that's what I expected. <laughs> it's okay. That's what I do, right? Uh, uh, but we are planning an event in in the Dallas area uh, in the middle of the year in the summer to yep. maintain exposure from our exhibitor partners there. So, but you know, to your question, um, we certainly plan to come back to Dallas. Uh, but as far as what that looks like over, say, the next five years post. 2029 2030 sure um, i think it's sort of stay tuned yeah yeah i would agree i would agree because if look if atlanta works really well two three years and then starts waning obviously you know easy decision um so one of the things that we i've heard 
of, on this tour that we're doing, South Africa Zim, we're attending all the professional hunting associations down here. And obviously people are just eager beaver, want to get into these shows. They want to out, they want to exhibit, they want to get exposure. And obviously Dallas Safari Club and SCI are the two main conventions to get into. Very difficult to get into. Mm, yeah. Both of them full, both of them with wait lists. Uh, you 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 give an, an, a, a booth to all these organizations and they auction it, brings a lot of money, probably the top amount of money, bigger than rifles yeah. at these conventions. And so, but I've been to Dallas and this is the, the thing that I wanted to talk about. I've been to Dallas. You've got your main floor that has all your exhibitors and whatnot and you've separated, you've got the guns up there and for some crazy Texas rule, like you're allowed <laughs> this side of the line, you're allowed alcohol, this side of the line, you're not allowed alcohol. Yeah, that's but, it. Um, but as I said to you, I said, well, you know, at, even on both sides, there's room. You can add more. You could add 10 more exhibitors on the top floor at least to, to buffer up against the restaurants there. But then on the bottom, you've got huge space. Like it's, you know, next, I'm, you know, what I think you said this year in Dallas have like buggies lining up there because it's a long walk to get to the bloody concession stand. <laughs> but um, well, I'm joking here, but, but there's, a large, there's a large footprint there that could be filled with the exhibitors. And you've got a ton of exhibitors saying, I want to get in. And that's a lot of money. It is a lot of money. So why are you not doing it? So we have, uh, again, using round numbers, about a thousand exhibitor partners. And recognizing that each of those represent different kinds of markets in the industry. And the market may be international fishing. It may be domestic bird hunting. It may be optics. It may be camo clothing. It may be art, jewelry, whatever. It may be outdoor lifestyle related. Uh, but then within the hunting sector as well, we work very specifically to not triage to create over um, commercialization of one particular market. And so in that greater context, we have not continued to add exhibitors, realizing that it would mean significantly more revenue for DSC. Because if you're a, again, we're sitting here in Zimbabwe, so mm. say if you're an operator in Zimbabwe, and I add another 15 or 20 exhibitor partners from Zimbabwe, I just made it that much more difficult for you to be successful when you've spent twenty, thirty thousand dollars to get there, to spend a week in Dallas, hotels, food, your team, your lodging, your airfare, all of that. Um, and I just took a market share away from you, um, recognizing that we already have the very best in the industry there. Mm. And by that, I am not saying that there are not exceptional outfitters jewelers etc that are out there in the world art whatever that we wouldn't like there but i'm saying we work very closely mm. and aware that we do not make it more difficult for our exhibitor partners to be successful so do you do you have then a cap like based on what you're saying like you, we've got 80 south african outfitters or 100 we don't want any more did you come up with a number or just like man i think we've just got enough regardless of we look at like sort of we have a kind of a dashboard, if you will, across the convention. And I can tell you not offhand, but I can tell you how many we have that are South African, Zimbabwe, Mozambique, okay. and all the way across the spectrum of every country in the world. Um, and how many are dangerous game hunters versus plains game or how many elk hunters we have or bear hunters or whatever it might be. Um, and so we do know what that ratio is that we like across the whole convention floor. 
And it doesn't mean that one year we may not be up a little bit and down a little bit because we would really want to get this one exhibitor partner in there or this brand new product that we don't have represented on the floor. Right. What, that's what we I was thinking. In. Like maybe someone comes in like, oh, we've never had you, someone from your country here. Exactly. And we would work very diligently to make sure that that individual and their services were part of the convention floor because we look at it obviously with two sets of lenses on, the first being the exhibitor partner. That without them in the hall, we don't have a convention. So mm-hmm. that's the number one foundational building block. Mm-hmm. But then number two, what is the exhibit, uh, the experience, excuse me, of the attendee? We want to make it when someone walks in that door, they have the opportunity to experience virtually anything in the world related to the outdoors. Products, services, obviously hunting, fishing trips. And so, uh, for example, a couple of years ago, we had someone that, that brought uh, this particular shark fishing experience uh, uh, in front of us. And we looked, and it's like, we don't have anything like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, we said, we'd love that. We added that. And the number of people just off the cuff that came in and made comments to us, this is spectacular. I've been looking for something like this and a book mm, the trip. Amazing. Yeah, it was just unexpected, but it was a, a value add to our attendees. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I'll finish off by uh, bragging a little bit on you and an exhibitor of yours, Stefan Alsak. Mm. Yeah. So Stefan, I keep uh, he keeps telling me he goes, Robbie, you're gonna get me sued. You're gonna I said because you I said Stefan, you're 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 the next Banovich, like you are. And he's like, oh, don't say that, don't say that. And I'm saying it in front of the CEO of Dallas Safari Club. Um, so Stefan, I don't know if um, when I invited you to our fundraising event, the invitation that watercolor was a Stefan Alsak watercolor. Nice. And we gave the original watercolor to the highest uh, table uh, amount, the person who bought the, the highest costing table. Um, but he showed me Maximus that's coming yes. to your convention. I'm sure you've seen it. I have. It is. Like he keeps sending me videos. Like, yeah, I need you to listen. Is my English okay? And he's getting better and better and better at like conveying what it is. And Maximus just looks unfreaking believable. It's like the size of something like this, I think. It's like. I think it's like two by four or something. It's a crazy big painting. Yes. You know, what's what's interesting about him is uh, I think last year was his first year to be with us at DSC. Correct. And following uh, the convention, we had a number of exhibitor partners that had been there for, with us for a period of time that came up post-convention and said, we would like to be near him, which is that doesn't happen. We would like to be near him because the number of people that he attracted to his booth because of this majesty. Hyper-realistic art. 100%. By sort of secondhand exposure they got by people being at his booth, mm-hmm. they got additional exposure. Mm-hmm. What a tremendous add to our convention. Dude. Absolutely. Do you know the story of how we met? No. <laughs> so I'm at SCI. I think it's Reno. The last time they were at Reno. And I have a big uh, cameraman with me, Jesse Phillips. He's a big Marine, ex-Marine, six foot five, Mississippi boy, but dressed. he's always dressed to the hilt. He's got a cowboy hat on and whatnot. And the Reno hotels have like these little like nooky elevators. And so Jesse and I get on the elevator at a floor and Stefan and, um, shit, what's his name? What's his wife's name? Louise, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm I'm messing it up. But Stefan and his wife are on the elevator. And Jesse and I are just very personable people. So we get on, oh, hey, how are you doing? Dun, bum, 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 bum. We start talking. 
Stefan is just enamored with cowboys. Yeah. Like, he <laughs> wants to be a French cowboy. Okay, so next time you see him, like, give him, like, a cowboy hat with a DSC logo I'll or something. He will be like, oh, my God. And so, literally, we're on, like, floor five. He's on floor three. The, the doors open at door three. We walk out door three with them. And we just had this big conversation. And uh, he told us his booth. And that was the first time he was exhibiting there. And uh, we went and visited him and saw him and became Instagram friends. And that's how it started. Yep. And that's how it progressed. And, um, yeah, he sends me videos all the time. But he is an incredible, incredible, incredible artist. And he is spectacular. And he was so gracious uh, his first year there at DSC to, to be there, to be a part of the convention. Uh, truly one of those exhibitor partners that makes us better by him being in the room. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I introduced him. him uh, I was talking to him outside your convention hall and Ronnie Williams walked by and introduced him to Ronnie Williams. And Ronnie Williams, I think, bought the sheep that was on auction for like $30,000. <laughs> and yeah. then he bought the thing. I think he actually bought the painting that he had at SCI as well. Wow. Yeah. So I was like, huh. I asked Stefan, I said, like, where's my commission? <laughs> He's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Classic Stefan. Well, Corey, look, uh, good, uh, good chatting and um, safe flight to Nairobi tomorrow. Thank you, sir. And uh, we'll send you pictures of the ball tonight yeah. okay, via WhatsApp. Hopefully, we'll keep them PG. You'll be looking dapper, and I'll be curled up in a tiny little uh, <laughs> airport seat. Uh, pleasure, man. Thank you. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.